turn on here in a second. Now I want I, I did want to have a nice Mother's Day message to make all the ladies feel good because they 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 truly are underappreciated. Um, you know the the mothers of our homes and um, in our families and things like that. Um, I know we celebrate it once a year, but honestly, as as Brother Dan said, we should celebrate every single day because they do so much, and a lot of times what they do is so underappreciated, and uh, and we and it's taken advantage of and it's taken granted for or for granted, and um, and so I. I wanted to preach a message like that. I really did. But uh, the Lord, for some reason, led this message on my heart. Um, this month, we have been... Um, learning a, a lot about repentance. And um, David was probably one of the best repenters in Scripture. He had his victories, but he also had his defeats. And... Um, but he never let that defeat keep him down. You know, he got back up, and um, and his life is is an example for you and I, uh, for when we have those valleys, when we when we have those defeats, of how to get back, how to get back right with God and things like that, and um, and so this this evening I, I really want to focus on that um, as we look about uh, the need for uh, repentance, the need. In our salvation, but uh, especially for those of us who are born again Christians, um, we need to have that repentance when we sin and get our hearts back right with God. It's needed; it really is. Because sometimes, if we don't, then our hearts get hard and callous, as we're going to look here. And pretty soon, our relationship with God gets further and further and further away. And pretty soon, you're doing things that you never thought you'd ever do as a Christian. And um, and so we're going to look at some things this evening, and uh, hopefully quickly we'll try our best. Um, so if you will, go to Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Um, that's going to be where we're going to focus pretty much all of our time this evening. Now, for the most part, we're all familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Uh, you know, he was the big giant that defied the armies of Israel. We know how... The little shepherd boy arrived at the battlefield and heard Goliath's challenge and defiance towards God. We know how he stepped forward to the challenge and would not go to battle with weapons and armor besides his little sling. We know how God was behind his throw and that David defeated the giant and won the victory, forever changing his life and taking him from the fields with the sheep to the palace. But this would not be the only giant that would rise up and challenge David. Uh, we actually read in 2 Samuel chapter 21 that David and his men fought against the family of Goliath. And though David was almost killed in that battle, they were victorious. Yet before that particular battle, David had already been defeated by a giant. He'd already been defeated. This giant was a giant of his own creation and one he refused to even fight against. This giant is still around and is actually one that you and I also must face and battle with. Sometimes we fight and we battle many times every single day. Sometimes this giant wins. Sometimes you defeat them. The giant that I'm talking about tonight 
is the flesh. Is your flesh. See, this evening I want us to look at this battle and what to do when your giant defeats you. There's usually a process of this giant getting strong enough to defeat you. And we're going to look at some of the examples tonight of how David um, allowed this giant to get stronger and stronger, but he didn't acknowledge it. Uh, let's go ahead and go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you so much again, Lord, for tonight. Thank you for such beautiful weather the last few days. And uh, Lord, it is it is a re, uh, rejoicing and uplifting of our heart to to see the sunshine and, and the warmer temperatures. And I do thank you for thank you, Lord, for those tonight. And I pray that you would bless your word tonight, Lord, and and help us, um, Lord. The Christian life. I wish it was just a a walk in in the field and and uh, no trials, no tribulations, no problems. I, I wish it was like that. As long as we're in this world, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be uh, mountains, there's going to be valleys. And, um, and Father, there's going to be times where um, our flesh will defeat us uh, because we still have to battle with it. We still have to, to crucify it. And, um, and sometimes that's hard to do. And Lord, I pray that You would help me tonight, Lord, as we look at this, uh, Lord, this example that You have given us in Your Word of um, how great a man David was, but and yet he... He was defeated. And I pray that You would just help us, Lord, learn from this lesson, learn from this uh, example so that we don't make the same mistake. And Father, I do pray that You would strengthen my voice tonight, Lord, as well. And God, that You would just bless um, the message this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, verse number 1. Verse number 1 in chapter 11 says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So here, kind of give you a, a little bit of a backdrop. David was at war with the Ammonites. In chapter 10, it reveals why they were at war and that it was actually a matter, a, a matter of honor and respect for David's servants. Uh, one of the, the the king of of Ammon had died. His son had come up, and um, David sent servants to uh, to honor the death of this king. And uh, and the princes said, "Oh, David has sent these servants to spy on us." And uh, and so the king, the new king, hearkened, listened to that counsel, and he abused the servants of David. And that dishonored them. They couldn't go back home. They, they he embarrassed them. They they caused shame on them. And uh, and when David heard about that, um, he defended their honor. He defended his servant's honor, which is good for a king to do, defending his people. And uh, and when they realized that their actions, as the Bible says, caused them to stink before David, uh, they went to war with the Israelites. And so now this is where we're finding it. Earlier we see a, a big battle in chapter 10 and, and, uh, and they're fighting against the Ammonites here. Um, but David, as he sends out his armies and things like that, he'd beaten the Ammonites to the point where all that remained was their capital city of Rabbah. And uh, after the year had ended, David returned home when he should have been with his men. As Scripture says that kings did at the time. 
His men fought for him, and he should be there to command and to claim the victory. Uh, it was a lot different than warfare is today. It wasn't just, you know, today you just push a button and send off missiles and blow things up, and, and uh, the general really doesn't fight anymore. But back in these days, the king led his army. He led them into the battle. And, uh, and that's where David was supposed to be. He was supposed to be with his men. He was supposed to be leading them against these, this other armor, this other, other army. Um, but instead, he went back to Jerusalem. And he remained there. And he was not where he should have been. See, he neglected his duty and he wasn't in the right place. You know, the same is true for you and I. When you are not where you're supposed to be, or you should be, it is easier for your flesh to rise up, attack, and take hold of your life. You know, you might be coming, there might be some times in, in your life where, uh, you know, you, you, you know you're supposed to be in church. And, um, and yet you say, oh no, I'm not going to go to church today. I don't feel like going. Um, pretty much almost guarantee you that it's those times where you say, no, don't need, don't need to, I'm going to skip church this week because I don't need it. Um, already your flesh is starting to get strong. And, um, and pretty soon, you know, maybe that, that one week says, ah, I'll, I'll skip church again this week too. And pretty soon you're just strengthening your flesh, strengthening your flesh, and pretty soon, uh, that one week becomes three months, six months. And, um, and you start to do things that you never thought you would. <clears throat> when with David away from his men and command, he was in the wrong place and soon to be at the wrong time. Had David been where he was supposed to be at, this story may never have happened. But because it did happen, we're reading about it tonight. Uh, secondly, David had idle time, and he was unprepared for a battle. Look at Second Samuel chapter eleven, verse number two. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And uh, so here we we see that you know he gets up in the middle of the night. Uh, he was in his palace in Jerusalem, home from war. He didn't really have anything particular to do that evening. So he decided to take a walk. Whether he knew he would see what he would see or not, he was walking into a battlefield unprepared. See, I don't think David was planning on being in a battle that day. And that ill preparation was going to be the defeat of him. You see, now, he may have been carrying a weapon, you know, maybe a dagger or a sword. You know, maybe he had something that... Physically, he was ready to defend himself, but spiritually, he left his armor behind. He left it behind. He never even put it on. Now, we don't know exactly when in the evening or night this took place, but it was most likely when most were asleep because he was already laying down. And now David's palace, kind of give you a little bit of idea of why uh, he was on top of his pal- uh, palace and able to walk around and, and look around, was that usually Israelite buildings were flat on top. And so this usually, uh, you know, probably had uh, maybe gardens or something like that, and where he could be able to walk around and and see uh, his kingdom, you know, for or the city of Jerusalem. There usually probably had a palisade or something to protect, you know, someone from falling off. Um, but this gave David access to just to kind of see the city of Jerusalem. 
Um, and so, you know, he probably took many walks. You know, he probably was maybe a, a fashion of what he did, you know, maybe to, to, to help stir his mind or, or things like that. Maybe he was worried about his men and, and he couldn't sleep that night. And, and so he went out to, to walk to get some fresh air. Who, we don't know. We don't know his motives. We don't know his reason. But we do know that he shouldn't have been there. And, um, and so we're going to find out that uh, David's giant is going to step forth. Uh, look at verse number 2 and 3. Again, we'll say, And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And uh, so as he's walking around, you know, as the Scripture says, he sees a woman. Uh, but what captivated David was what she was doing. She was washing herself. She was bathing herself uh, late at night. And as soon as David noticed what she was doing, he should have responded in a different way. You know, as a, a respectful man would do, uh, so if he soon as sees something like that, he should have, you know, looked away and went back inside. That should have been his. Re- that should have been his reaction, um, knowing that hey, look, I shouldn't be here. This is this is a private thing. I'm not. I shouldn't be. Uh, I shouldn't be watching this. But David couldn't. Instead, he watched, and as he watched her, his giant grew stronger and stronger, and pretty soon David was going to be in big trouble. Now, David's desire to have this woman was now in full force. You see it because he actually sends messengers to find out more about her, who she was. Even though he was married, he had seven wives and well over ten concubines, he wanted this woman as well. Uh, that's why it's so dangerous to, uh, for men and, and women to be looking at pornography, things like that, uh, because it starts to activate uh, not only just the lust in your flesh, but it starts strengthening your flesh. And um, and you'll start going down a path that you do not want to walk. And um, David didn't know who this woman was. I mean, it was the middle of the night. You know, he probably wasn't sure who, probably couldn't see uh, who she was in, in full, but he could just tell that this was a woman washing herself. And so he sent someone to find out who she was. The person returned and informed him that the woman was named Bathsheba and that she was the daughter of Eliam and was also the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, to us, those those names don't mean anything. <laughs> you know, if, uh, you know, some might know of Uriah because we've read Scripture and things like that, but most people have no idea who Ahithophel is. Um, but he was actually a very important person in, in David's kingdom. Um, Eliam, see, see, David knew exactly who these uh, who these people were, Eliam was the son of Ahithophel, which was one of David's most trusted counselors. Um, you know, imagine you know, a king has his counselors. He's got several people around him to give him guidance. And uh, Ahithophel was one of those most trusted counselors. Uh, the Bible actually says later that the counsel of Ahithophel was like the oracle of God. In other words, his counsel was so sure, was so accurate, was so trusted and reliable upon, it was like asking God for the counsel. 
And that was the kind of man that Ahithophel was in, in David's kingdom and, and in his court. And uh, so David knew that uh, the family of, of Ahithophel, and he knew that Bathsheba was his granddaughter. Um, of course, you know he knew who Uriah the Hittite was. Uriah was one of his mighty men and had been with David for quite a bit of time. So Bathsheba, as we saw, was the granddaughter of his personal advisor, and she was the wife of one of his elite soldiers. So he knew who she was. It wasn't just you know some uh, you know no name person that he didn't know who she was. He knew exactly who she was, and um, but that didn't stop him. I believe God was trying to warn David not to do what he was planning on doing, revealing who she was and that she was a married woman. I mean, he purposely said, "This is the wife of Uriah," but uh, see here. David didn't heed the warning. Uh, and we're going to see here that the giant of his flesh defeats David. See, his giant was too strong at this point, And it was soon going to overpower him. Look at verse number 4. And David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him and he lay with her and she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. How often when our flesh rises up that we ignore the Holy Spirit's warnings and even our own conscience. You know when you're following the flesh. You know when you're doing wrong. You know you get that little voice in your in your heart, in your head that says, you know what, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you really shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. And how often do you and I, we kind of just push push them away and continue doing what we're doing. And um, so here, we kind of see the same illustration. God said, David, this is a married woman. She's married. Don't do it. Don't do it. And yet, he still ignored. The flesh had become too strong. He ignored the warning. And he sent for her anyway. Now Bathsheba also was in the wrong. So a lot of times we put the whole blame on David. But she was also in the wrong. Though she did not know why she was being summoned until she arrived, she could have still left or refused the summons. But she did not. She was just as guilty as David was of committing this adultery. And um, when David commits adultery with Bathsheba and she returns home, she doesn't realize that their affair will be bringing unimaginable consequences for her and her future. Scripture does say in Numbers 23, or sorry, Numbers 32, 23, that be sure your sin will find you out. A lot of times we think, well, you know, what we do in the dark, what we do in our private time, what we do when nobody's watching, we can get away with. Um, this story here reveals the fact we can't get away with sin. We can't get away. We may think that uh, we, we can cover it up and things like that, but um, God says, You're, be sure your sin will find you out. And there are always consequences for sin. You'll never get away with it, even though your flesh will spin the greatest lie to you. David thought he was in the clear, but God will not be mocked. As we looked here in verses 4 and 5, um, 
you know, he finds out that that he is now going to be a, a father um, to this child with uh, Bathsheba. And um, David is now completely in the flesh. I mean, there, he doesn't repent. He his God's not in his thoughts. The only thing that's in his thoughts now is what am I going to do? How am I going to explain this? How am I going to turn this situation to uh, where it won't look bad? How am I going to cover this up? And uh, how how often do you and I do that? You know, as soon as we do something we know we shouldn't do, and uh, we think, oh man, how am I going to cover this up? How am I going to hide this where so 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 no one finds out that I'm doing this? We're doing the exact same thing that that David did, exact same thing. Um, you know, this is <laughs> over two. 2,500 years, if not 3,000 years in the past, and we still act the same. Nothing has changed. Um, so now, instead of going to God and asking for forgiveness for what He's done, He's now going to try to cover up His sin. He knew He was not going get to get away with His sin very easily. And so He devises and schemes up a way to cover it up. But by doing so, he's going to be a, he's going to abuse the loyalty of his men. Look at verse number six. Uh, we're going to read verse six through seventeen. It says here, and David uh, sent to Joab, saying, "Send me Uriah the Hittite." And Joab, Joab is his general, and Joab sent Uriah to to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So he sent them a banquet. Nice dinner. You know, go home. I'll even give you dinner for the night. Your wife doesn't have to cook, and I'll provide everything for you. You know, eat, drink, be merry. You know, so he's trying to, to get Uriah to go home. Um, but here, look here, verse number nine. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. He refused to go. Uriah had more integrity than King David did at this point. And um, look at verse number ten. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah. Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thy house? Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David's plan was, okay, I've got to get Uriah and Bathsheba together so that way he'll think it's his child. That's his thinking. He's trying to cover this up, even though he knows it's it's wrong to do. Uh, look at verse number 12. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So now David commits another sin. 
by getting Uriah drunk, which was against Scripture in Habakkuk. And, um, and so here he's already um, starting to go down that slippery path. And, um, and so he gets Uriah drunk, and even drunk, Uriah has more integrity than David at this point. That's pretty sad how far David has slipped down this slope. Um, look at verse number um, 13. I'm sorry, verse number 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. So now he writes a death order for Uriah. Give, you know, he writes this order that uh, when, when the battle starts to, to become uh, a, a big part of the battle, uh, put Uriah in the very front and the rest of the army retreat. So that way, Uriah will be the only one facing the army, and um, and that's so now he is planning someone's death. And it came to pass when Joab, uh, sorry, verse number uh, sixteen. Uh, so actually, Uriah, verse number fourteen. So he actually gives it to Uriah, and because I mean, Uriah is now carrying his death sentence. That's how much David knew he could trust Uriah. That he wouldn't open it up. I mean, it's sad that how this man is... is We're going to find out he's going to be killed because of a man's sin. Trying to cover it up. Because you, you don't realize just how far you'll go to cover up your sin. To try to... to so that way people won't find out. Here was a just man, an honorable man, a man of integrity, and he was going to be dying because for someone else's sin. Uh, verse number sixteen says, and when it, and it came to pass when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were, and the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So not only did Uriah die, but also several other of the servants of David, other soldiers that were there in David's army. They also were innocent casualties of David's scheme that happened to be that happened to put them near Uriah in the battle. So so David now did not only just commit adultery, cause a man to be drunk, but now he was a murderer and one of his own soldiers who were fighting in his name. David possibly caused more than one woman to be a widow that day. And he now had the blood of these men on his hands in addition to Uriah's. See, Uriah was a man of integrity and perhaps even more so than David at this point. Uriah died for someone else's sin. Just like Jesus Christ died for our sin. He's, he's a good illustration here of what Jesus Christ did on our place. He who was innocent was condemned guilty for you and I. Um, Uriah, or sorry, look at verse number 18. And uh, Joab and, uh, sent and told David all the things concerning the war. 
and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise and say unto thee, um, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall, and he died in Thebes or Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came unto us into the field, and we were upon them even into the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot off from the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Look at verse number 25. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. So if you look here in, in David's defeat to the giant of his flesh, David had hardened his heart towards his sin and his consequences. When the report came in, he was already callous at the loss of the lives of his soldiers. I mean, a king knows that a man fighting on behalf of him who loses his life is not in vain. And yet you see his response, oh, one life is worth, is worth as another. He didn't care. Because now his plan was, his plan B, I guess you could say, was now going forth. Look at verse number 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fenced her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But look at verse, the rest of the verse here. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. See, Bathsheba never dreamed that her one night with the king would cause her to lose her husband forever. She never saw him. She never saw him again. You see, sin has a very high price that is never revealed until the end. It'll spin you the greatest tale, but it'll never reveal what the outcome will be until the very end. David then takes Bathsheba as his wife as quickly as possible to finish covering up his sin. This way, when the baby is born, he can tell everyone that it was an early delivery. David thought he had everything worked out and that no one would know of his sin with Bathsheba. But David forgot about the one being who could, he could not hide his sin from, and that was the Lord. David's actions displeased God greatly. Um, I'm glad the story doesn't end there. because It looks like a pretty big tragedy. And it was and is. Um, but God doesn't give up on people. We're going to look at it in chapter 12. It says God's, um, we're going to see God's messenger confront David. Look at verse number, um, one. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Um, before we get further on, um, I'm thankful that God does not let His children get away with sin because He loves them. Uh, he does not let us get away with our sin. But He chastens, He corrects, and 
tries to bring back those who sin. Hebrews 12, verse 6 and 7 says, For for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? We won't get away with our sin. And God will try to, to get us to, to, to realize that our sin has grieved Him and that he, he wants us to get right with Him. You see, David's heart was already hardened. And instead of one sin, he now has quite the list going. Where would it stop? Would it stop with just that one man? Or what, what would David do now? So God stepped into the scene. God sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. Nathan begins with a situation that has happened. And let's look at verse uh, number 2. And so he starts talking about there's this one rich and this other poor. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Look at verse number five. And David's anger was um, greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. He had no compassion. See, David was angry against this rich man for the injustice that he had done and pronounced judgment before Nathan even finished. He already interrupted and said, that man is, should, will surely die. Uh, he's going to restore fourfold as well. Look at verse number seven. And Nathan said to David, and usually I always picture this, and he's got that, you know, big bony finger and pointing at David and said, Thou art the man. You know? Here he, he, he reveals right plainly to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this of this son." For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Nathan reveals that David is this rich man and that God has judged him for his sin 
and what the consequences would be for what he has done. And these are some pretty serious consequences, and they actually happened. Um, you know, the sword never departed from his home. Uh, you see that, the rest of 2 Samuel. The rest of 2 Samuel is pretty much a tragedy. You know, he loses uh, three of his children. Um, you know, his own uh, son kills the other son. Uh, one of his daughters is raped by his other son. And it's just tragedy. And Absalom raises up and tries to, to take the kingdom from him. Um, the victories that we read in First Samuel coming up to this point, it seems like after this time, he's living defeated. He is living defeated. Um, but I'm glad that David just doesn't say, oh, okay, oh well. <laughs> you know, uh, that's what God says, then, oh well, so be it. But look at David's response. Verse number 13 and 14. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee, shall surely die. I mean, as, as Nathan is, is telling him the, the consequences of his sin, and he's saying exactly what they were, even though nobody knew but David and Bathsheba what they were doing, um, God revealed and said, you know what? You didn't get away with it. You didn't cover it up. This is exactly what you did. You committed adultery. You took her for your wife. You had her husband killed. And I think David finally realized I, I blew it. I, 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 I fell. I, I sinned. And, um, and I'm glad that he said, you know what? I have sinned. Because now, once we realize that the position that we are, we can now turn back to God. We can now turn our heart back to Him. See, David realized he could not get away with and cover his sin from God. He repents and he humbles himself before Nathan and the Lord. And God spared David's life not because of his actions, well, but because of his actions, his son would not live. Now for us, that's hard to understand. But later in the chapter, we understand that uh, the child went on to paradise and that David knew he would see his son again. Uh, and even, even today, what... Um, what do those who are against God remember most about David? Some might remember, you know, David and Goliath. Um, but most people remember David and Bathsheba. You know, even to this day. God, or He has given the enemies of God cause to blaspheme against Him. And because um, what He had done was wrong. It was wrong for a man of God to do. For anybody who... Uh, was a follower of God to do. Um, and so there was a consequence for that. David repented of his sin and God forgave him. David and Bathsheba, according to the law, were supposed to both die for committing adultery. But God had mercy upon them. But David's own judgment would come into effect and that four of David's children would die. Sin still sets in motion things that cannot be changed even by repentance. Even though you may repent of your sin, sin still sets things into motion that 
that sometimes cannot be changed. The results of what could have happened if David did not repent would have been far worse than the mercy that God offered David when he did repent. David knew that he had been wrong and that he had hurt his relationship with God. He was miserable until he finally repented of what he had done. Uh, Jump over just real quickly. We're pretty much wrapping up, but I want you to see in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. um, You know, here we see David says, you know, um, I have sinned against the Lord. But Psalm 51 is you see his heart in the whole situation of how he realizes that um, of what he had done. Psalm 51, verse number 1. Most of us are probably familiar with the psalm. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God. See, this, if you look here, sometimes you, you'll, I think most of the Bibles have here, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is when Nathan confronts him. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Uh, Jump down to verse number 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me, with thy free spirit. Then will I treat transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Just by this, the verses here, you, you can see that when David sinned with Bathsheba, the joy of his salvation was gone. And that's what happens when we sin. That relationship, that closest that we have with God, it goes away. It, it, it gets strained. And oftentimes we lose our joy. Here, if you look here in Psalm 51, there's ever a time where your flesh rises up and it defeats you. Look to see what David's response was. He asked forgiveness. He he realized that he had done wrong and he asked God just to to restore the joy. um, And just, just look at his response, how he reacted. God still is the same today. When we sin and go our own way, we grieve God and it hurts our relationship with Him. Heaven becomes like a brass ceiling and our prayers don't get answered. It is then that you and I need to repent of what we had been doing and turn again to God. Confess that sin to Him and ask His forgiveness. He's already forgiven all of your sin when you became a born-again Christian. But you need to turn back to Him to restore your relationship with Him. And it's never too late for a Christian to repent and turn their heart back to God and to do His will. It's never too late. You may think a person's too far gone. They're never too late. Never too late to turn back to God. So tonight when 
you are not where you're supposed to be as we kind of look here at the story. It's easy for your flesh to rise up and take hold of your life. With David away from his men in command, we saw that he was in the wrong place and soon to be the wrong time. David was not planning on being in a battle that day and that ill preparation was going to be the defeat of him. Again, he maybe had been carrying a weapon with him in case of a physical attack, but spiritually he left his armor behind. When you and I, we should always be uh, equipping ourselves with the armor of faith so that way when these spiritual attacks come, when that our flesh starts to rise up, we are well prepared to fight. We are well prepared to be able to defend ourselves and to, to crucify that flesh when those lusts of our heart rise up uh, to challenge us. And how often when our flesh rises up that we ignore the Holy Spirit's warnings and even our own conscience. Uh, you know when you're following the flesh. And David was drawn away by his lust and sin was around the corner just like it says in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, which says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And this story that we looked at tonight, the example is, exa- is a perfect picture of James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, there's always consequences for sin. You will never get away with it, even though your flesh will spin the greatest lie to you. David thought he was in the clear, but God will not be mocked. And Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 shows us the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, we won't get away with it. Um, we can't get away with our sin. Now, Bathsheba never dreamed that her one night with the king would cause her to lose her husband forever. Sin has a very high price that is never revealed until the end. And sin sets in motion things that cannot be changed, even by repentance. Uh, when David began to plot and to and try to figure out how he could get out of this sin that he had committed, in the end, in the process, he lost a mighty man in his army, one of his one of his elite soldiers. He lost other soldiers, uh, and he also lost his closest advisor. Um, because later in Second Samuel, when Absalom rises up, Ahithophel joins his son and conspires against David because of what of how David treated uh, Bathsheba. And um, Ahithophel had some bitterness about what David had done to his family. And uh, he lost his closest advisor as well. When we sin and go our own way, we grieve God and it hurts our relationship with Him. Heaven becomes like a brass ceiling and our prayers don't get answered. It is then that you and I need to repent of what we had been doing and turn again to God. Confess that sin to Him and ask His forgiveness. He's already forgiven all of your sin when you became a born-again Christian, but you need to turn back to Him to restore your relationship with Him. And the last thing I just want to leave with you tonight is that it's never too late for a Christian to repent and turn their heart back to God and to do His will. As long as you're still breathing, God will still forgive you. He will still take you back. He still will. Uh, now, your relationship, your life might be not what you ever thought it would be. But God will never cast you aside. Because He has promised that He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And He will try to bring you back to Him. He will try to bring chastening into your life. And you can fight and kick and scream against it um, all you want. But um, eventually, um, you know, God just wants your relationship back with Him. That's the thing that He desires the most is that, that walk with Him that you and I have. And um, I know it was a kind of a, a hard message tonight as we look at um, it's, this is not an easy portion of Scripture because it's one we don't we don't want to acknowledge. You know, we don't want to, you know, that's one of those, the dark chapters and reveals just how, um, what the heart of man is capable of doing. Just what your flesh is capable of doing. Even this great man, David, I mean, one of the greatest kings in the Bible, uh, a man that, that God says is a man after his own heart, and hear how great this man was could even fall. You and I are no different. We all each have our flesh. And our flesh, if we do not take care of it the proper way, can rise up like a giant and defeat us. And uh, tonight, hopefully we saw some things of how we can get victory over this giant of our own flesh. And, um, and if that does happen to defeat us, that we can rise up again and not stay defeated and turn back towards the Lord. Go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and we'll be finished. Father, we thank You again, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, this I think this portion of Scripture was also um, given to us so that we um, just understand that we could easily be in David's footsteps. Um, Lord, even though he was the king of Israel, he was a mighty man, but he was a man that walked with You. A man who... Um, had a relationship with you. Um, Lord, we're not necessarily kings of a nation, um, but if this great man could lose this battle to his flesh, so could we. And um, I'm glad that he didn't stay defeated, that he rose up just like that just man did, and that he uh, turned his heart back towards you, confessed and forsook his sin, and got right with you. And um, I thank the Lord that you do the same for us. When we, when we fall, when we sin, God, that you don't give up on us, but that you desire for us to get right with you and to continue our walk with you. And Father, again, I don't know why you had me preach this message tonight, Lord. I pray that it was a help to someone tonight. And Father, we do thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.